environment. Welcome to the Air Environment Podcast. I'm the urban pastor, Jabin. And I'm the environmental scientist, Aaron. And we live in different time zones, but yes. due to science, we talk about science. Uh, this is a part of the Jackson Cloud, which is an online church. You can join and check more out at jacksoncloud.com. Uh, but uh, we get together with Aaron on this segment of the Jackson Cloud Network to talk about the intersections between faith and science. And she kind of leads the conversation, and I just hope that I know what she's talking about so that I can add to it. I'm just going to turn it right over to her. We're talking about, well, hang on. We're talking about why statistics matter in everyday lingo, but as Aaron originally called it, scientific fact versus anecdotal evidence. There you go. <laughs> So that's uh, both the things we're talking about, which are similar. <laughs> so, Aaron, take us in. Where are we going today? Well, first, um, I just want to say I think that was the greatest opening we ever had. I didn't screw up once, <laughs> so um, props to Aaron. Um, and also, I want, I've been reading this article from Inside Climate News, and I really want to talk about it because it's good news and i think i think when we hear good climate breakdown news it's fun to talk about and it's about how many scientists now say that uh global break global warming or climate breakdown could stop relatively quickly after emissions go to zero so if we can get emissions to go to zero they say that the earth can recover in just a decade or two which is mind-boggling we've done so much damage to the planet and we can actually recover it in less than 20 years so that is just really great to hear so the, and i think that's really positive the earth is like a tooth uh, uh yeah sort of you get a cavity it's a cavity it shouldn't be fixed but if you do a good job of taking care of it the cavity can heal on its own if it's small enough Unless my dentist was wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, sure, like research is showing that stopping greenhouse gas emissions will break our vicious cycle of warming temperatures, melting ice, wildfires, and rising sea levels uh, like faster than we thought a few years ago. We thought it would take uh, 50 years for us to reverse some of these effects because we thought the um, greenhouse gases wouldn't leave but if we're not putting out emissions then there's less of those molecules to cling to and they'll dissipate faster so it's our best understanding that if we bring uh, CO2 down to net zero warming will level off and then the climate will stabilize within a decade or two uh, and then there'll be very little additional warming so our best estimate would be zero and that's from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, so, really great to hear. Uh, widespread idea that's been around for decades, and we haven't had like, like backed 
evidence for it. So that's really exciting change and modeling. So uh, the consensus now is that warming stabilizes quickly and within 10 to 15 years uh, of emissions going to zero. So that is some good climate-based news. Bah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't write theme songs on the show, as you can tell. We're going to leave that to the experts. And the expert is not me. Until I go and uh, edit it into a theme song. <laughs> the remix. Oh, no. <laughs> but as you were saying, if you remember, um, I was just saying today's topic, if you remember from last time, we kind of dove into what the scientific method is and how we use it in our own lives and how like you use it in a way when you're doing research for your sermons. Um, and that kind of was a lead into today's discussion about facts or the importance of scientific evidence and what it means and what anecdotal evidence actually is. Uh, so it's this, this is important because when we take in news, we know how to properly follow source materials and we can't just believe everything we take in. Many facts we have today have buckets of scientific evidence to back it up. And it's important that we take that approach in our own lives because when we ignore the facts, scientific consequences can be huge. Like I believe I brought up the anti-vaxxer movement before. I think it's a great example of this. Like cornerstone of peer reviewed journal articles are that they are repeatable. A single falsified paper from Andrew Wakefield in 1998 jump-started the myth of the link between vaccines and autism. However, no one was able to repeat this exact situation, but by the time the paper had been retracted, the damage had been done. And to this day, we're still dealing with resurgences of treatable diseases like measles and whooping cough. So there's scientists' jobs who are out there, and all they do is test papers. And I think I mentioned this last time where Leonard from the Big Bang Theory, that was like his job, like that was part of what he did. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of like rambling on. So like, let's talk about what anecdotal evidence is versus scientific evidence. So I'm sure, Jamin, you know what an anecdote is, right? Uh, yes, but you, you'll define it right now as... <laughs> okay. I was going to say an analogy, but I know that's not like the right... Um, uh, no, so anecdote is like it's an evidence that collects in a casual or an informal manner, relying heavily and, or in some cases entirely on personal testimony. So anecdotal evidence in a court situation is something that's very important and can be used. However, in a scientific situation, it's not. So just because you saw one time or you heard from this friend that this thing happened doesn't necessarily mean that it's a rule. Um, a really good anecdote for this would be the one time we were talking about uh, fast fashion and you wanted to know why men's clothing was more expensive than women's. And the two women on the thing were like, that's not true. Women's clothing is more expensive than men's. So, but both of our viewpoints were anecdotal, purely anecdotal. And I spent the next like three hours trying to figure out who pays more money. And what it turned out is there was a variety of factors. If you remember this, do you oh, remember I this? Remember Remember, you all targeted me. Uh, you oh. targeted us first. <laughs> I didn't. 
You absolutely said this is going to cause people to get mad. And I'm like, well, then why would you say this? But it turned out we actually spend the same amount of money. There's many factors involved. Men don't buy clothing as often, so theirs is more expenses up front. Women's clothing changes more often, so ours is cheaper because we're expected to buy more. It's also, like, thinner, so it's expected to wear out faster. Uh, and we also spend a different amounts of money on things. So men will typically, which I thought this was interesting, especially it, particularly British men. The article I saw, British men will spend $300 more on shoes annually than a woman would. And that just like blew my mind. <laughs> interesting. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting thing? I'm like, okay. Because you would think stereotypes, women really like shoes, but actually... Men spend more money on shoes for some reason, but women spend more money on undergarments, which makes sense because we technically have to buy twice as many. Yes. <laughs> but it all it all evens out in the end. But but that that's an example of our two anecdotal viewpoints getting in the way of actual fact. Right. Whereas people like me really didn't care enough to dive that deep into the research to prove their point. It wasn't to prove a point. I was just more like, I have, I like, I absolutely my whole life have been like, women's clothing costs more. It's ridiculous. And then you're like, men's clothing costs more. It's ridiculous. And I was like, excuse me? Clothing companies would like to make more money. If you're out there listening and you're a clothing company, bring your prices down to the same price as women's clothes and we'll buy it now. We hipsters. Except that's like the opposite clothes. of what we were saying in the fast fashion episode. But well, okay. okay. Morally, we won't buy it. That's right. But financially, we will. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy this sweater. I, I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> I'm going to buy this because I like it, but it, but I, I'm going to dislike you when I purchase it. Anyway, anecdotes. <laughs> I was told the other day that I'm not argumentative. I just really like to prove my point. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I started a whole podcast just to do that, proving my point. Um, so that is anecdotal evidence. It's a story told by individuals. It comes in many forms, uh, testimony, sure account about its effect- effectiveness of a claim. Like you'll see this on like diet pills are like, I use this and it worked for me. Did it? Did it work for you? Um, scientific evidence is evidence that serves to either support or contrast a scientific theory or hypothesis. Uh, such evidence is expected to be empirical, interpretable, and repeatable in accordance with the scientific method, which is why last week I went over the scientific method because it is a cornerstone of establishing scientific fact and evidence. <laughs> So I spoke on a different subject for half an hour for a reason. Uh, But what does this all mean? So this has a lot to do with statistics and why they're important and why they matter. So remember when I said that science needs to be repeatable? As I said several times, that's where stats comes in. I just want to say I hate stats. Statistics, I hate it. It's very, like, if you're really diving into it, it's very hard to understand. But when you're just talking about basic level and their importance, super easy concept to grasp. Uh, Statistical analysis usually involves a large sample size, and those sample sizes have to be, um, excuse me, (laughs) I'm looking at my notes and my brain stopped working, a large sample size in an attempt to lessen the effects of like outliers. 
Uh, so usually when you're taking the mean, which is the average, uh, you want the bigger it is, the, the more accurate your average will be. So if you're taking an average between three numbers and it's one, two, and 77, your average is not going to be the, the, the actual like average. But if you're taking it of 10 numbers and nine of them are ones and twos and the other one is 77, it brings down your average. So you want a larger larger sample size to be more representative of the population. So typically they're generalizable outside the sample. Anecdotal evidence is small, biased examples that are not easily generalizable. So it's, it's you can't really generalize the thing that you're thinking about. Um, and, and like in statistical methodology, scientists still take precise measurements in controlled environments with calibrated equipment. So when you're talking about the scientific method, I always said, there's always a control. This is how it usually acts. And then when you're doing something else, you have your experimental, which involves variables. This is exactly why, because you want this to be controlled. That way it will show what the population is like. So you want it to be as general as possible. Anecdotes, however, are basically outliers. They're unplanned observations and they're described orally or in writing. They're not controlled with equipment, they're not calibrated, they're not really measured, there's no like hard data behind them. And other relevant factors are usually measured and controlled. So if you're introducing something to your environment, so you've got a plant and a seal, and you want to add a milliliter more water, you can do that. But if this guy's like, well, I just eyeballed my water and my plant did great, like that's different because you don't actually know how much you did, mm -hmm. right? Because like those those tiny things are ignored. It's like when I called my mom and I asked for her apple pie recipe and I got off the phone and it was just a yeah. list of ingredients. Yeah. And then I was awesome. like, I had to call her up and I go, Mom, how, what? Because she makes really good apple pie and I wanted to learn how to make it. And I was like, Mom, what, what, what are the measurements here? And she just goes, oh, I just eyeball everything. And then got off the phone with me and I was like, what? And it's taken me 10 years to figure out how to make a freaking pie because I don't know what to do. That is when pie becomes you. You have become the I am, pie. I am one with the pie. That's practice. That's expert level pie. <laughs> pie and I. Yes, but it also I would have gotten it immediately if my mother had ever measured her pie and then I wouldn't have had to like spend years going through a weird process of how much of this do I add? How much of this do I add? She does it all the taste. But now by doing that, you too have become the pie. Yes, yes but I've written down the um, measurements of it. If somebody asks, I can be like, is this much? Well, then the secret won't die with you. That's very good, yes. That is the goal. Other people can make delicious pie. Uh, <laughs> back to stats. Statistical um, methodology requires strict requirements for identifying like casual connections. Uh, that's why you have a controlled one and then you have like this, I'll add one variable and this one I'll add the other variable because then you can figure out how they intertwine and nothing is being affected by another. Now, anecdotes assume casual relationships as like a matter of fact. Like you just you just know that it happens. And like I know I'm using a lot of anecdotes in this because it's in a like testimonial sort of way, but in a in a court of law, this this is exactly what an anecdote should be. I'm just like being like, my anecdote is my mom's pie. 
this may not have happened to everyone, but it's really easy for me to relate and it's easy for you to relate to. So there's, there's benefits to using anecdotes. However, it is not a fact that everyone's mother is going to call them and give them bad pie recipes. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or, or. <laughs> some mothers just hand you the back of the cookie box and say, it's right here. What are you looking for? <laughs> just what do you want? <laughs> so it's, it's a Nestle recipe, right? That's what so, I found out with my favorite oatmeal cookies. It was on the cookie box. <laughs> I thought it was mom's special recipe. Actually, I just learned that one of my friends, her grandma, one of her like cookie recipes is actually just cookies that she buys at the store and then adds like one like frosting to the top and everyone thinks that they're her homemade cookies and she's been saying that they're her homemade ones for years and she's been like, I'm not going to give out the recipe. I'm like, it's because you've been buying them at the grocery store. <laughs> Well, yeah, that would do the trick. Yeah. So, like, all of these things are should be enough to convince you that anecdotal evidence isn't super trustworthy, right? There's not, there's no hard data behind it. It's not controlled. Nothing's measured. It's just what you're talking. So, like, why are anecdotes so much more effective than scientific evidence? Well, that actually has to do with psychological factors involved to make it more convincing. So humans naturally communal creatures, right? We like to be connected, we like to talk to each other, we like to tell stories. And as that, because we come from like oral history and oral tradition, we're more likely to remember dramatic and extraordinary personal stories. In psychological terms, statistical analysis of data that are carefully collected from well-designed experiments lack emotional flavor. So, so listening to me, and I'm throwing in anecdotes here because it helps you relate to what I'm saying, what I'm talking about. Because psychologically, it's more pleasant to listen to you than me sitting out here listing yeah. facts at you with like stats, right? That would be very boring. It's boring for anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you're describing every political slash sociological conversation from the last year is someone <laughs> says, look, this is happening everywhere. This needs to stop, you know, like something like racism or whatnot. Someone's like, well, I have one friend and they weren't racist in this moment. You know, it's like, right. Well, you can't just like anecdote one time out of exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, it becomes a much bigger conversation. Or yes. As someone. No, you're completely got You're the vaccine right. and then they got covid right after you know or something like that and yes but the covid vaccine has a 98 percent success rate and you got so that is two shots and you got yep. yeah so there's anecdotal evidence itself cherry picks the best stories the to stories tell like you don't hear about one that stick exactly yeah. You don't hear about all the other people who got the shot and nothing happened or unsuccessful cases or of like racism and stuff like that. People are less likely to talk about them because they're not they're part of the status quo. They're part of everyday life. Like I don't tell you about every day I make an egg and it's easy. I tell you about the day where I made an egg and it blew up on me and I didn't realize there was water in the pan like that. That's more interesting to tell than like I fried an egg today and it was normal and I ate it with toast. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then on the other hand, like anecdotal 
can be like good, powerful too, I guess. Yes. When you, think, you know, like Jesus, someone dying on a cross for people who are murdering him and saying, I forgive you. That's anecdotal. Usually you don't forgive. Usually that's like, <laughs> don't, that's the big story that stands out, but that's part of the reason it's such a big deal. It's like, we could yes. all be anecdotes if we tried harder. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Anecdotal evidence has a place. Anecdotes have a purpose in society. Like, I'm not saying we should never tell anecdotes. They're great and I love them, but we should not be using them in place of facts is what the issue is. Because you're right, like we rely on them. And this is, uh, I actually have an anecdote of a great situation, um, which is hilarious. So I ha have a, an electric kettle in my house. It literally plugs in the wall. I press a button and it heats up water after I add it. Most Americans don't own an electric kettle. So when I moved here, I thought it was amazing. It came with the apartment. And I was wondering, why don't we have? We always have those on stove ones or people will just heat up a pan of water. And I always wondered why they're not more of a staple because sometimes there's a lot of things that you just need hot water for. You just need warm water for things. So why don't we have them? So I did a little digging and I did some research and I found out that the voltage in the UK is twice as much as that of the US. So plugging in a kettle and having it on takes just as much time it's actually faster than putting it on the stove waiting for the water to heat up. In America, because the voltage is lower, it takes just as much time as the electric kettle as it does to put it on the stove. So most people will opt to that. Now, electric kettle technology, being as it is, has probably improved since I looked at this five years ago. So it's a possibility that I'm no longer correct. But the evidence that I have says that I like this is what it is. So I had mentioned this on Facebook, which was a bad idea. Don't ever just say anything confidently online. Even about uh, a kettle pot? Come on, man. <laughs> you no, know, you would not believe it. I put it on, like, it was on, like, this Taste the UK thing. Like, why don't Americans do this? It's ridiculous. And I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting about voltage types. Because it is, to me, it's genuinely fascinating because... That's why our wall sockets have plugs that turn on and off and why our sockets are so much bigger because the voltage is higher. That's why when you bring American electronics over here and plug in the wall, it fries your thing. Like you don't want to do that. It's bad. Uh, and I said this and I had every, like several people go, oh, that's interesting. But then a majority of people go, well, I live in Canada and our voltage is the same and I have an electric kettle and that it works just fine. Or my aunt has an electric kettle and it works just fine. And I'm like, that's an anecdote. That's not evidence. It's just you know someone with an electric kettle and they use it. But do you test the like? Do you have you actually taken that kettle, plugged it in, and then test it with it? Do you just not care about the amount of time it takes? Like, there's so many factors involved in what they're telling me. I eventually took it down because so many people were arguing about how this is incorrect, even though I had looked up. How I had is read. Controversial? I had read articles written by physicists about why the kettles aren't being used, what the voltage is like. I had actually done the research, but people did not want to believe me, even when the research was provided, because the anecdote is so strong. Collectively, these factors of biased con conclusions drawn from anecdotal evidence towards unusual outcomes then unjustified casual connections. They just do. Like, they just make make it. Also, it was the most controversial thing I've ever done online, and it was about a kettle, and I just couldn't believe it. How are you ever going to get into politics now? Is it? <laughs> yeah. I can't. 
<laughs> and then I feel like a uh, a anecdote because Jody has an electric kettle, you know, and it does right. seem faster than our stove. So then, like me, when I join your angry post, I'd be like, "Hey, Aaron, what's wrong with you? You think Americans?" Are... <laughs> no, right. There's a but there's would, a multitude like of factors involved. Yeah. Right. There are multitude of factors involved. How old is your stove? What's it plugged into? Does it take all the thing? Maybe it doesn't work as well as your kettle. It's a gas stove. Maybe it heats different. Like it's there's a multitude of factors. What I knew was exactly what I had found, and it was scientifically correct anecdotally not correct which is fine but also this was research i had done five years ago so it's very possible that your kettle has advanced yep. well enough to be faster than your stove which i'm very willing to be like my my evidence is old like that's why when you look up scientific information you need to check if it's older than 10 years it's probably out of date so you don't want to rely too heavily on that yeah, same but like true in theological studies as well because yeah we find new scrolls and information over time and so if you're reading a book that's too old it's not going to take into account all that stuff right exactly so it's it's just it's a lot so what do we do so when you're looking up something what do you do and we were talking about like politics so everybody sees the news and they read it and how do you how do you feel like you could get the biggest picture the and the best best news a lot of people ask me when i talk about the news that i read they're like oh well, what what news do you read like what do you look up i don't actually read one news source i read multiple sources because far right news and far left news news only gives you half the picture you have to read it all because there are things that are true in both types of the news so you eventually will get the nitty-gritty facts it's a lot of effort and it's not nearly as fun as reading something that agrees with you but eventually you'll figure out what's real because you have to pick out everything that's consistent now sometimes if it's something small like the charity I work for put out a report on nitrogen and we put out a press release to give. Now, overwhelmingly, the smaller papers just printed our press release. So a lot of them were the same. But some of the bigger play papers read the nitrogen report and then added some additional stuff. Like sometimes you'll get weird stuff like that. Sometimes it'll be like massive perspectives. You won't know where to go. And then you kind of have to sift your way through it, which is annoying. Right? I'm sure that happens to you when you're looking up stuff for um the sermon you read like a bunch of commentaries and try to figure out what the best picture is based on all the different commentaries yep yep you type it in it pulls them all up and you choose what makes more sense yeah you just you have to create a picture based on the most consistency uh or you know if you feel like pulling out outliers and then no, i'm kidding <laughs> Well, it's also matching with everything you've already done. So you've already done all this scientific research. You know generally where the science points. Right. You're going to come across one study that feels like the anecdote, right? So yeah. same thing happens in theology. I'll pull out one commentary and be like, you didn't even take into account all the prior stuff that's in my mind that other people have already thought about. And right. So it becomes the anecdote because it's not. Yeah. It's not matching exactly. Else. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's 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 an excellent point. Um yeah, but like, like when not, when this is the issue with pop science a lot of the time too, because they'll 
take a scientific article and they'll summarize the best they can and they pull out the most interesting fact about it. But a lot of times, that's not actually what the article is saying. It's just uh, you can infer that if you're trying really hard. Uh, so whenever I see an article that references a study, a lot of times they will either give you the title of the paper or they will link directly to the paper. And then I click yep. the link and then I read the paper. Or I read yep. the abstract because I don't want to pay money to read paper because I'm cheap and science should be free. Information should be free. <laughs> It's a different topic for a different day, but information should absolutely be free. Uh, and when I do that, I use a dictionary. Like, jargon, it, we can definitely go into scientific jargon, but that is a whole other topic that, like, it's so steeped in it. I use a dictionary. I absolutely am not ashamed to say I don't know what this word means. It's okay. People who read papers professionally need dictionaries because they're so steeped in jargon. Like, you just have to use it when you're reading stuff. Uh, so don't be afraid to look up things you don't know. Uh, inform yourself. Like, I think the issue is people are afraid to say, I don't know, or I didn't know that. And that is, you just have to be okay with being like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, that's interesting. Um, because, like, I know the clothing thing, I was more just like, like you, you took it as me being infuriated, but I was more like, I really wanted to know what the truth was, and I didn't know that. Uh, also, because I've never had a man ever tell me that they paid more for any type of clothing, I'll so I was just more like, again, if what? I have to. <laughs> Absolutely mind-boggling, so I had to look it up. Uh, and I think that's part of, like, when I'm, like, trying to learn something or prove a point, it's more like, I am genuinely very curious, and I'm not afraid of being like, I don't know what that is. What is that? And then I spend, like, six hours on the internet, like, reading about clothing and how much it costs or kettles and why why mine works so fast. <laughs> Not about p apple pies, though. Maybe I should have done a little more research on that instead of diving in. You know, there's big recipes like everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, just this one pie recipe. Not could possibly be like it. And then, actually, I told my mom that this year, and it turns out it's in her Betty Crocker cookbook. I could have just looked it up in Betty Crocker. Oh, well, there there you go. It was just on the back of the box. I was like, don't the... hurt my feelings. Like, stop it. I've spent so long trying to like do this. Oh, I can't believe I forgot that until just this minute. I forgot it was in her Betty Crocker book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's like, that's the first step in research is just saying, I don't know, or I want to learn. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good conversation to have because I feel like that's, uh, I don't know, it just summarizes pretty much my last year of conversations. Like, look at this, look at the evidence, look at history, look at everything that's being said. And then someone always comes in like, yeah, but this one time or this one person I know in this one situation, yes. I'm just like, how does that, how does that erase the majority? How does one person yeah. embrace the majority? You know, and like that would be a bad anecdote. Well, it's good because it went better in that anecdote, but it's bad because you're framing it by the anecdote rather than the rest. But then at the same time, if anecdotes that, if positive anecdotes, anecdotes are unusual, then those are also somewhat gospel minded because mm -hmm. they force mm -hmm. us to the unusual is the one that will 
shift thinking absolutely future and whatnot so yeah they definitely have a place of a place in our lives like we can't cut like i like to say anecdotes are not facts but i only mean that in a scientific point of view anecdotes are necessary to connect with other people it's necessary to share the gospel um it's necessary to just like tell stories it's just necessary for conversation like can you imagine if all i ever did was spout facts at you do you know how irritated you'd be with me <laughs> yep <laughs> you would never talk to me james like you mean every time you text me in the middle of the night <laughs> no yes <laughs> you would never want to talk to me though because it's not interesting and it's not fun but like they have a place that anecdotes definitely have a place but just as facts have a place and the issue is the more we blur the line between the two the less we can get things done or have like actual meaningful conversations like you're trying to have with people about things that matter like race and the gospel and like political issues that are happening around you yeah i'm gonna yeah. be stealing this whole conversation for a message at some point or it's gonna make you preach instead of one or the other i don't know <laughs> Sounds fun. Uh, remind me to save my notes. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, uh, you got anything else you wanted to hop into, or is that no? That was it. This? That's it. I because uh, I could easily go into correlation and causation here, but uh, that is another forty-five minute conversation. So we'll just save that for another time. Excellent. Well, in our next episode in about two weeks or so <laughs> on Thursdays, Maybe. we'll hop into <laughs> correlation. It, the holidays are over. There's got to be some kind of ease on repetition now. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll catch back up with uh, Aaron on that conversation. Uh, if you saw this online, you might have caught it sooner. But if you're listening on the podcast, you'll be getting the download on Thursday. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Air Environment and learn more about it and other things at jacksoncloud.com. That's jxncloud.com. See you there.